morning. So I usually have my um, iPad, but I was in West Virginia last week and left my iPad in West Virginia. So, but it's okay, because you all know Tyler, right? Tyler Klein, who used to work at the Lighthouse. She has it for me, and I just have not caught up with her to get it, because she came home to Ohio. And I said, oh, I'm a, we'll connect so I can have it by Sunday. Well, it's Sunday and I don't have it. So, but it's all good. It's all good. So um, if you pray with me and pray for me, God, we just thank you for this beautiful day that you have blessed us with. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the opportunity to come before you in the presence of all of these wonderful people to spend time with one another, to hear your word, O oh God, and then to feed with one another after service. God, we just ask that you will open up our hearts and our minds so that we can hear from you, so that we can receive, so that once we walk out of these doors, we will be changed people and we'll learn to live just a little bit more like you will have us to live. So God, I just ask that you will just strengthen me in my body, strengthen me emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Let your words be heard and not mine. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in today's text, I found three things. Suffering, devotion, and redemption. But I also found a setup. And so we'll go through and talk about those. So today's title for this message is, There's a Redemption in Suffering. Uh, oftentimes, when people speak, speak of Ruth's story, it is often told as if the only thing that happened was Ruth and Boaz getting married. Ruth and Boaz's love connection is the setup. I've been in settings and conversations with people, especially single females, that refer to Ruth's story when they're talking about looking for a mate. And they'll say something like, oh, I'm just waiting for my Boaz. I'm looking for my Boaz. My Boaz is going to find me. But there's no further conversation about Ruth's experience before she found her Boaz. There's no conversation about the inferred grief she experienced due to the loss of her home, the loss of her first husband, being a foreigner in a strange land without her family. This story is so much more than a quest to find a mate. So let us just jump right in. So I mentioned three things that I found, and the first is suffering. Suffering, a subject that some of us do not like to have much discussion about. Suffering is associated with pain, hopelessness, despair, and even death. Suffering can, can be an experience that is physical, mental, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, and financial. Suffering is the antithesis of shalom. We ask people, what do you wish for? If you could have anything in the world, what would you want? And you may receive answers such as, I want peace. I want world peace, peace on earth. And I've not asked the question, what do you want? And someone has replied, suffering. I'll take suffering for 200, Alex. If we could stay away from the experience of suffering, we certainly would. While many believe that suffering is an individual event, it is not. When one suffers, we all suffer. If my sister or brother is suffering, I am suffering. For I am my sister and my brother's keeper. Galatians 6 and 2 reminds us that we are to bear one another's burdens, but we can only bear burdens when they are shared with us. Sometimes we can see the suffering of our brothers and sisters, such as the suffering of those that are hungry and homeless, and we see them standing in line to receive free food or see them on the street seeking donations. And speaking of our hungry brothers and sisters, tomorrow is World Food Day. 
And World Food Day is not just a day to celebrate the many, the many, um, and the many varieties of delicacies, but to also bring awareness to the number of people worldwide that experience food insecurity. People across the world are suffering from starvation, and the Food and Agriculture Organization has created this initiative to combat that issue. In Ohio, the state that we live in, there are 1,391,290 people facing hunger each day, with 386,430 of those people being children. The USDA defines food insecurity as the lack of regular access to nutritional food for an active and healthy life. Regular access to nutritional food for an active and healthy life. It's estimated that in Stark County, 48,510 individuals face hunger and 14,410 are children. When we think of suffering, oftentimes we are thinking of illness or disease. And what we find is that suffering looks different for each person. In the case of hunger and food insecurity, many of us here today experience the blessings of God to have food stored in our pantries or to, have at, least, to at least have access to food. Those that experience food insecurity often are the same people that experience homelessness. Not having a residence doesn't allow for storage of food or the opportunity to plant a garden and grow one's own vegetables. In 2022, Stark County's food bank distributed 9,041,776 pounds of food and other essential items to families in need, the equivalent of 7,534,813 meals. And of that, 2,199,26 pounds of that was fresh. It was fresh, nutritious produce, and it was free. So there are resources for people that are facing hum, um, hunger. So Ruth's story begins with a family moving from Bethlehem to Moab due to a famine, due to food insecurity. To combat suffering, Elimelech moved his family. Many families can't just pick up and move in search of food. They may have to tap into resources in their area to meet their need. This was the first example of suffering in this story. Another example or another experience was when Naomi's husband died. She was left alone to raise her two sons in a foreign land. Naomi experienced the loss of a loved one, and we can infer that she experienced grief. While the scriptures do not explicitly state that, she does state later in the chapter that she has been afflicted. But we infer that she was grieving. Based on what we know about the loss of our own loved ones, we can only imagine what it was like having to raise her children alone especially when she and her husband made plans and they left together to this new land. Then he passed away. How often do we make plans for our families and then somewhere along the line the plan changes? It's like the saying that we make plans and God just sits back and, and, sits back and laughs at our plans. They're not our plans, they're all his. I'm sure they had a plan for a better life, making life-changing decisions, but it's... Um, Naomi, nonetheless, Naomi raised her sons, they got married, then the sons died. So not only was Naomi a widow, but now so are her daughter-in-laws. Again, the inferred grief. Naomi has lost her husband and now both of her sons. And here's where the story turns. Naomi receives word that the Lord has come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She then prepares to return to Bethlehem. And it makes me wonder, did she not see God while in Moab? 
or was she homesick and wanted to return to her homeland? Knowing that the famine was over, she didn't have to worry about being malnourished. She didn't have to worry about food. For Naomi, God's provision of food was to end to her suffering food insecurity. Being in her homeland may allow her an opportunity to be with other family members that were left behind when she and her husband moved. Being in community with them may help ease the grief that we can imagine she was experiencing. As Ruth's story continues, we find devotion. Ruth was devoted to Naomi. Naomi encouraged Ruth to return to her own family, and Ruth adamantly declined. She said to Naomi, I'm going where you go. Your home will be my home. Your people will be my people. But most importantly, she said, your God will be my God. Talk about going out and making other disciples. Previously, I asked, did Naomi not see God in Moab? But the question may be answered here. If Ruth wanted Naomi's God to be her God, then I would have to believe that, that though Naomi and her husband went to Moab to escape the famine, that she was still a believer in God, that she must have experienced and was a witness of God's glory in Moab. Friends, how awesome is it when someone wants your God to be their God? We have to take a moment and ask ourselves, how am I witnessing that God is great, that God is good? What am I saying or doing that others Others will want the God that I know to be great and to be good as their God. Am I beating others over the head with pamphlets about the goodness of God? Is my entire conversation this, God this and God that? Not that that is a bad thing, but you have to know your audience. I believe that people can see the God in you without you having to say God's name at all. I spent last week with some wonderful people from the Appalachia area of Kentucky and West Virginia. And one of the people was a woman that was serving the food that we ate. She is so kind and so sweet. And we talked each day, and I thanked her profuse, profusely for her kindness and the good food, because the food was good. She told me that it was her pleasure to serve us and that she wants people to see Jesus in her actions. And I can say that I definitely saw Jesus in her actions. And just as suffering looks different for each one of us, so does devotion. Our devotion to the cause for Christ looks different for each of us. The way we serve God is to be pleasing and acceptable in his sight. Though Naomi and Ruth both experienced suffering, again we are inferring, we are imagining that they did not give up on God. In this walk with Christ, on this journey, we will experience suffering. We may lose jobs, we may lose homes, we will lose loved ones, and when we do, we cannot walk with our eyes on something other than Jesus' love for us. We walk by faith and not by sight. When we walk by sight, we are bound to bump into something and stub a toe. And if you've ever wandered around an unfamiliar house in the dark and bumped into the sharp edge of a coffee table, all you could really say was, ouch. Sometimes we experience suffering. It's like walking around in the dark in an unfamiliar setting. Suffering is unfamiliar. It's sometimes dark, but our devotion and faithfulness to God is what allows us to get through the suffering. Though we cannot always see what is on the other side of the suffering, we believe that God is working on our behalf. Ruth and Naomi experienced suffering, and God was already working it out for them. This is where the redemption and suffering comes into play. And the story, 
Naomi moved back to Bethlehem, Ruth went with her. Naomi had to reestablish herself there and had to find food. So Ruth went to the fields to glean behind the workers. She was willing to take the scraps. And doing so, Ruth found favor in the eyes of Boaz, who was actually a relative of Naomi's on her late husband's side. So as the story goes on, Boaz, being a family member, was able to buy Naomi's land and keep it in the family. Not only did he buy the land, but he acquired Ruth in the transaction. The two married and bore a son a son that they named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David. And you may be asking, why is this significant? It is important because it is the bloodline of our Redeemer, which you can find in Matthew chapter 1. So you can go home later and read all of that. Though Ruth and Naomi moved to Bethlehem and Naomi was selling her land as God would have it, there was a family member there available and willing to not only purchase the land, but to also marry Ruth. Redemption was in play. Restoration was in play. They could not see what God had planned, but walking by faith and not being limited, limited to what could only be seen by the natural eye is what this faith walk is all about. As I thought about God's redemptive love for us and the opportunities for forgiveness and restoration, a song came up in my spirit, and the song is titled Faithful. It's by the gospel artist Hezekiah Walker. The song is a simple song with the chords being repeated several times, and the words are, faithful, faithful, faithful is our God. I'm reaping the harvest God promised me. I'm taking back what the devil stole from me, and I rejoice today, for I shall recover it all. The lyrics are simple. But when you find yourself overcoming suffering and you've been faithful and devoted to God through it all, recovering all and being restored makes you turn towards the heaven and give God praise for what he's done. He's given us his only begotten son, Jesus, to bear our burdens. His son is the one to recover, restore, and redeem. The song says that I'm reaping the harvest that God promised me to take back what the devil stole from me. Now, you need to know that I'm not the one to blame everything bad that happens on the devil, the enemy, the adversary, whatever name you attribute to the one that we find in John 10.10, whose job is to steal, kill, and destroy. But when I think about suffering, pain, grief, and how we respond to those things, it's there where we can find ourselves allowing the enemy to take hold of us. It's natural and expected that we experience sadness and hurt and despair, maybe shame based on what's happening. Yet it's in those feelings and emotions where we are vulnerable and open to the lure and the wiles of the dark one. We find an example of this in Job 1, where God has a conversation with Satan about his activities for the day. Satan says, I've been roaming, trying to find who I can devour. God says, have you tried my servant Job? Two things here. Satan said, I'm looking for somebody and can't find nobody. It's Satan's job and his desire to devour us and lead us astray. Then God says, my servant. Job was a faithful, devout man of God. And in chapter 1, again, go home and read this later. In chapter 1, you will see in the early verses that Job prayed daily for himself and his family. So moving on in the same chapter, God says to Satan, go ahead, destroy everything that Job has, but do not destroy Job. Satan says, surely Job will curse you if he loses everything. But God knew Job's devotion to him. 
Satan proceeds to destroy everything Job has, his cattle, his children. And in Job's grief, he fell to his knees and worshiped God and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I would depart. Essentially saying, I came here with nothing, I'll leave with nothing. The Lord gave and the Lord take, has taken away. Everything I have, God's, God has given it to me, and he's taken it back. May the name of the Lord be praised. Who can praise God when they have lost everything? Who can praise God when we lose someone we love dearly? We can't. Who can praise God when we lose a job? We can. Who can praise God when things look so bleak? We can. Why can we praise God in the midst of our suffering? We can praise him because we know that our Redeemer lives. We can praise God in the midst of our suffering because we know that though we don't see with our natural eye what's happening on the other side of suffering, we know that we, don't walk, by, we, know that we walk by faith and not by sight. We know that restoration and redemption are on the other side of our suffering. Jesus suffered as he carried the cross. Though we don't carry physical crosses, we carry something that seems to be as heavy as the cross that Jesus carried. But there's hope. There's hope that the cross that we are carrying can be taken away. Jesus tells us in 1 Peter 5 and 7 to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. When I saw it, I was like, oh, look at God. So going back to Job and his suffering, I mentioned that our vulnerability is an opportunity for Satan to kill, steal, and destroy. It's an opportunity for us to be swayed, to lose our faith in God's promises of redemption and restoration. Job's wife was a victim of Satan's wiles. She asked Job, was he still trying to walk with integrity and devotion to God? And Job said, yes, I am. His wife said, you should just curse God. Go ahead about your business. Go on and curse God and call it a day. Can you think of times when you felt like you were suffering and you've asked God, why is this happening to me? I'm faithful. I'm a good person. I've given my life to you, and yet this is happening to me. What did I do to deserve this? When we are experiencing suffering, it's not always about something that we did. Rather than God desires something from us, like trusting him more, seeking him more, or better yet, seeking him first. He chooses us to be witnesses of his redemptive love for others to come to know him. When you find yourself suffering, rather than ask God, why me? Take a page out of Job's story and praise God in the midst of the suffering. Ask God, how do you want me to use the suffering for your glory? As a preacher, I can stand here and provide for you tips and strategies for how to handle your suffering. As one that has had experiences of suffering in various areas of my life, I can stand here and say, it's easier said than done to ask God, why not me? To ask God, how can I use this experience for your glory? To not get caught up in the emotional fallout of suffering. But here's what has helped me. I turn to scriptures, I turn to scriptures, journaling, praying, walking, listening to music, and sometimes I find myself having to speak with a professional counselor. These things do not make the suffering go away, but it helps me cope and get through. Some of the scriptures that I turn to are 1 Peter 5 and 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you 
and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 2 Corinthians 4 and 17, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 12, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, the persecution, persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This was Paul. All the things, all the great things that Paul did after he became Paul, he was still persecuted. But yet, he believed, and he said, God rescued me from them all. Isaiah 43 and 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. No matter what you're going through, he's not going to let you drown in them. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. James 1 and 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And finally, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now this is not all the only scriptures that I use, but these are a few. Because the Bible is filled with God's promises of his light and his love and his joy for us and the prosperity that he wants us to experience. Um, this does not stop the suffering. It just reminds us that there is purpose for the suffering and that it will not last forever. So as I close this message of redemption and suffering, let us not be remiss in remembering or acknowledging that there is suffering taking place in Israel. I'm not well-versed in politics, and history was not my favorite subject in school. So I can't tell you about World War I or II, yet I do see that between the Russian-Ukrainian War and now the Israeli-Palestinian War, people are suffering. Lives are being taken, homes are being lost, and food insecurity is real. Families are being separated as folks are being forced to evacuate for safety. As we talk about how to overcome suffering, how do we, as Christians, talk to those that are experiencing this particular type of suffering? How do we tell them that God is still great, that he's good? How do we tell them that redemption is on the other side of this tragic trauma? First, we have to believe that redemption is on the other side. Our actions will speak louder than words. We have to pray for a change. We have to pray that peace talks begin and end with nonviolent solutions. We have elected officials that can make a difference, but we need to contact them and encourage them to speak up for other nations to seek peaceful resolutions. In the meantime, we can begin with this prayer that Mennonite Central Committee has shared. This is a prayer for Palestine and Israel. O oh God of life and love and peace, we witness the violence and injustice in your holy land, and our hearts break. Our hearts break for the people of Israel, for the victims of violent attacks by Hamas, Hamas, for those who live with fear and insecurity, for those who suffer from the intergenerational trauma of violence. Our hearts break for, Palestinian, for Palestinians, 
for the victims of violent attacks by the Israeli military, for those being denied water, electricity, and medical care, for those who are refugees long displaced from their homes. We especially pray that weapons of war be laid down, that walls of separation be dismantled, that prisoners be released, that demonizing of the other cease, that political leaders seek the good of all people in Palestine and Israel. O oh God, whose heart breaks for the world, may your justice dwell in the land, may your righteousness abide in fruitful fields, may the effect of righteousness be quietness and trust forever. May the effect of justice be peace, enduring peace. Amen.